Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, prediction time. Uh, a little bit different format for it. You know, I, I've been sitting here pondering uh, when is the best time to do the prediction thing. I thought Thursday maybe, but uh, probably, probably going to switch it to Fridays now. Um, last week worked well. We had the prediction episode and then a week wrap up. We're going to do the same thing today. Uh, and then with the night game tomorrow, you have all day to enjoy uh, the podcast week wrap up. Got a lot of mailbag questions to get to on that episode. Going to read a few today as well. But uh, I want to thank Heritage Digital for the news and notes segment uh, of our podcast, which uh, kicks off right now uh, at the beginning of every show. Um, but yeah, it's going to be prediction Friday from now on. So we'll get, uh, get that going. Maybe I was a little impatient for the season to start. So I, I did it on Thursday for Eastern Illinois, but, uh, prediction Friday game cuts going between the hedges. We don't know. Um, I, I think it's with South Carolina's standpoint, a uh, quarterback, I think Nolan will probably get the start just reading between the lines. Uh, I, I think Doty's ready to go in the game if need be. But, you know, like Shane Beamer said for a while, and I agree with him here, Doty's the type of quarterback, you know, you can't have him favoring his leg, soreness. I mean, you know, you you talk about turnovers and things like that. And, you know, when Luke Doty is not fundamentally sound, you know, I I could see a lot of bad things happening uh, that could really be costly in in a game like this. So uh, I'm assuming they'll go with Nolan. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if we saw Doty. Uh, of greater intrigue to me, as far as this game goes, is who's going to start a quarterback for Georgia. Uh, some quarterback gamesmanship really going on in the media this week. Kirby Smart says Stetson Bennett has a back issue. JT Daniels has an oblique uh, issue that caused him to miss the UAB game. I I personally think it's going to be Daniels, which I don't think that that's good for the Gamecocks. Um, you know, and, and or Carson Beck. Uh, I think that's the best-case scenario for South Carolina is for Beck to start. I don't know that Beck's quite ready uh, to play quarterback at a high level for the Bulldogs. Um, certainly a talented guy. And certainly, if you think about you know some of the games over the years when the Gamecocks have faced a backup quarterback, it hasn't gone too well. The most recent was T.J. Finley with LSU last year. But it's a new year. South Carolina has a new defense. Uh through two games, uh, they've been about as impressive as as you'd expect them to be in those two games. But this this is a greater challenge uh, coming in. So the quarterback situations, uh, both schools will be something to kind of consider uh, when you're looking at this game. Uh, other than that, Rick Sandage is the only significant injury for the Gamecocks. I, I think, you know, one of the things that has gone well for the staff so far, and, and there's a lot, uh, is that, you know, the Gamecocks have been healthy, uh, pretty healthy. Uh, knock on wood, you know, they haven't gotten into the rigors of SEC play yet, but uh, Luke Day and his staff uh, appear to have the team in good shape physically. Uh, the team's playing a lot faster. You know, I, I think uh, especially on defense and special teams, you know, you, that that's kind of where that comes out because you have guys – 
you know, playing much better than they have. You got guys out there competing athletically. Uh, but obviously, you know, like I said, the, 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 the competition goes way up. I mean, you're talking about the number two team in the country. You're talking about a team that a lot of people now are favoring to win the national championship uh, and a team that uh, has had two games that, that have been kind of opposites of each other, you know, 10 to three and 56 to seven. Uh, but you look at that defense and uh, it's a, it's a scary deal. It's a unit that can really facilitate a blowout. You know, if they're dominating the line of scrimmage, dominating up front, uh, field position game, all that good stuff. But we're going to get into that here in a second. Um, did want to mention one thing. Uh, you know, there's these mask uh, talks out there. Uh, I sent a tweet out, and I, I kind of wanted to explain myself with that. And then I'm not going to get into it anymore because it's just one of the – apparently the city of Columbia says, hey, you know, you got to wear a mask at the stadium. My only point with that is this, you know, masks and COVID and all this, it's a divisive topic. That's a fact. People have different opinions of it. And, you know, if if in Tuscaloosa and Clemson and Athens and everywhere else, uh, they were enforcing mask mandates, I, I would say that's fine for the Gamecocks. Uh, but, you know, when you're when you're talking about competing – uh, obviously that Kentucky game is huge uh, and you need as many fans in the stands as possible. And so uh, what I don't like about it is it's something that's, you know, out of the ordinary for college football venues around the country, um, especially outside in an open air facility. And uh, you know, it, it's going to affect the crowd. Uh, that's the bottom line. There are going to be people that don't, you know, that just protest or whatever, which is their right as an American that don't show up that normally would have. So, you know, I, I I don't know. I don't know if they work on it or what, but uh, it's a it's a situation where, you know, you, it's going to impact the Kentucky crowd. And I got a tweet about it. I got another tweet about, um, you know, politics is going to ruin the podcast. Uh, and I get you. Uh, I understand. I, I'm not an uh, anti anything. You know, as far as COVID uh, goes and all that good stuff, um, but. You know, there are people that have very strong feelings about it on both sides. And I think that uh, the city of Columbia is not doing South University of South Carolina any favors with this. And again, it would be a different story if mask mandates at college football stadiums were universal. Uh, but, you know, you're talking about competitive advantages and all that good stuff. Um, you know, I, I don't know. And the other thing about it is this, guys, you know, how are you going to keep everybody's mask on? I mean, if you're eating or drinking, you, know, you can sit there with a Coca-Cola the whole game without a mask. Um, so to me, it doesn't make much sense. And uh, if it's going to drive the crowd down for that very important night home football game at SEC opener, uh, and it's not a universal thing, uh, then I'm opposed to it, uh, you know, because I think that, you know, you have to balance these decisions uh, with everything. And I understand, you know, that, COVID is a serious deal and it's affecting people. Um, I just don't know that a mass mandate at a football stadium where nobody else is doing it um, that impacts the crowd. You know, I think you weigh that um, it's an outdoor venue. If, if you say inside in the enclosed places, masks are required, then that's fine. But uh, outside, I just don't, you know, it's going to keep people. Bottom line is people are not going to come. Uh, because of it. And uh, I'm, I'm against that unless all of college football starts to go that way. And then, you, you know, there's not a competitive advantage there. So that's all I got to say about that. I'm not going to say anything else. Uh, I, like I said, it's a, uh, it's a very divisive subject. Uh, we had, I had an interview with uh, Trey Gowdy uh, the other day on the site. Red doesn't like it either. Uh, and um, you know, he talked about how sports brings us together and there are people that are on the other side of the aisle that talk about that as well. Um, and so that's what the idea is, is to bring us all together. And you impose something like that that's not universal or that's not even common in college football, uh, that's going to divide everybody. And, you know, all of a sudden the game becomes about masking and things like that instead of people coming and, and supporting their team. Um, you know, so I'm against it. I, I'm against it. I think, uh, you know, unless there's some, you know, other kind of, situation that arises where Clemson's doing the same thing because they're in the state 
Uh, this is something that the local government, you know, I don't think really thought through uh, as far as all that goes. But who knows? Who knows if the policy will change? I mean, we got some time. I'm sure. I'm sure USC feels the same way. I mean, uh, I, I know there's mask mandates and stuff on campus for classrooms and things like that, but those are enclosed spaces. Uh, for williams Bryce Stadium, you want to do it in the enclosed spaces, that's fine with me. Uh, but like I said, you know, doing a blanket mandate for that, making it part of the rules, uh, is going to keep people away. That's the bottom line. And so that's all I'm going to say about it. I think, uh, like I said, I'm, I've never once been anti-COVID uh, mitigation or anything like that. I've never been anti-vaccine. Uh, you know, I'm just not. You know, I'm I'm sort of in the middle on all this, and I'm all for common sense. But it's, uh, you know, that's something that you know, again, very divisive. Probably, maybe shouldn't be, but it is, and um, it's going to cause people not to come, and you're going to have a lesser crowd there. So. Who knows? Sometimes the smaller crowds at Williams Bryce, though, are a lot uh, a lot more loud and, and rambunctious at the end of the game than maybe a larger crowd does. So it may work in the Gamecocks' favor. But uh, remember that Missouri game in the monsoon a couple couple years ago. Everybody left, and then uh, that crowd that was there was really really loud. So who knows what'll happen? But that's all. Again, that, that I'm going to say about that. Don't forget the big game. And, and look, thanks. You know, our friend out there that said politics is going to ruin a good thing. That's fine. Uh, I agree with you. I'm not trying to get political on it. I just, you know, like I said, my, my concern is the, uh, you know, the crowd not showing up. And I don't think it was a, a decision that, uh, you know, people people thought through. But um, so that's that with that. Uh, don't forget the Big Gamecock preview show coming up today at 1 on JB and Goldwater, myself, Michael Flint. Uh, Darren Goldwater, Jamie Bradford. It's a lot of fun. It's only an hour long, quick hitting, uh, and all that. We'll talk about the Gamecocks and some other games, um, you know, and all that good stuff. So it's uh, it, looking forward to that uh, as well. So South Carolina uh, comes into this game uh, as a 33-point underdog in some circles. Uh, I, uh, you know, that, that's a big number. Uh, and we're getting in here to the prediction segment of our show. Uh, and I want to say that it's uh, brought to you by Cindy Searfoss of Coldwell, Coldwell, Coldwell Banker Kane. Coldwell Banker Kane. Um, Cindy's in Spartanburg. Uh, she's married to a diehard Gamecock fan who's also an uh, excellent coach. Uh, Cindy's been in the upstate for over 35 years and would love to help you with any of your real estate needs. Uh, you can contact uh, Cindy at 864-414-5271 or C. Searfoss, that's C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at cbcane.com. That's C-B-C-I-C-A-I-N-E.com. Boy, sometimes I can't read. Uh, so anyway, Cindy Searfoss, Coldwell Banker, Kane Real Estate. If you're in the upstate or really anywhere, you, she can help you. I know a lot of people are out trying to buy houses or uh, and she'll help you find that hard to get inventory these days. Uh, if you give her a call again, call Cindy, text Cindy, 864 414 5271. The weekly Gamecock score prediction uh, right here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. So, you know, how is South Carolina going to upset Georgia? And it's a tall task. Uh, I would not call it likely, but, uh, you know, I, that's why you play these games. And the South Carolina-Georgia game has featured its share of upsets over the years uh, with the Gamecocks winning. Uh, I remember two, in sp- specifically, down in Athens, 07. Uh, and at the time, that didn't even seem like an upset. Gamecocks, I think, were ranked and, of course, got off to a great start. They won 16-12 to in a low-scoring football game down there. Uh, I think that's the kind of game the Gamecocks, quite frankly, need to get into. One of those old school Georgia, South Carolina, 17 to 13 type games. Um, and then there was the another game like that in 2019. Will Muschamp uh, probably is his biggest win as the co- coach of South Carolina. Uh, of course, he coaches for Georgia now, 20 to 17 in double overtime. Uh, both teams tried to give the game away. Uh, and, and I remember, you know, that one – you know, Parker White misses a winning field goal, and then they go to the next overtime, and he hits it. And then Georgia, the kid, blanket chip, misses his. Uh, and South Carolina won the football game. 
Uh, didn't do much with that win. Lost to Florida, Tennessee, App State, uh, beat Vanderbilt. But uh, I think that's the only game they won the rest of the year was a Vandy game at home. So, you know, South Carolina, uh, if they play well or win this one, you know, hopefully they capitalize on it and get a lot of confidence. So, you know, talking to some contacts within the program this week, you know, there is some confidence they can go in there and play. And, and they should. You know, they should be confident. You don't want to back down and go, oh, we're just going to get beat you know, all that good stuff. And, and your culture, which is something Shane Beamer and his staff have really, I guess, emphasized, uh, your culture can kind of help you with that, you know, because und- there's going to be a lot of adversity on Saturday night. Um, and the game packs have to respond and keep playing. Uh, and, and that's my first key to the game, really, that we'll get to here, is the game packs have to stick with the run. Um, you know, UAB – had some success running the ball against Georgia. Um, if you look at it, you know, from that state, I mean, it's like, JC, how do you, you know, it's a 56 to seven football game. How did, how can you even say that? Well, you know, you, you just kind of look at the stats and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where Stets and Bennett got going. Um, they ended up uh, throwing it all a, a good bit down the field vertically. Um, but you know, you, you look and UAB 3.5 yards per carry. Um, you know, you had one guy, Dwayne McBride, 4.7 yards a carry, 13 carries, 61 yards. Uh, and you compare that to Clemson, Clemson didn't really try to run it. UAB ran it 36 times. If you look at Clemson, and, and they've been up, you know, they've been pretty upfront about this up there with Tony Elliott. They, uh, they only run, attempted to rush it 23 times officially. 14 uh, in the stat column, you know, went to DJ, their quarterback. So with their backs, nine attempts for 24 yards, you know, and that's – they threw it 37 times. That, you know, that's not going to be something that uh, is going to get you success against this Georgia defense because – you know, you're, you're you're continually dropping back to pass over and over and over again. They don't have to respect the run. You know, they don't have to do that. And Clemson running back issues, all that good stuff, offensive line issues, et cetera. Um, so the Gamecocks can't be like Clemson in, in this football game and expect it for it to be, you know, even sort of close. Because, if you, you know, they're not equipped like Clemson is to drop back and, and throw it 37 times and – you know, have your quarterback with 14 rushes total and get sacked all the time. It's just not something that Carolina is going to be able to do uh, in this football game with any sort of um, efficiency, uh, in my opinion. You know, and, and you sort of look at it, four passes deflected by the Georgia defense, eight tackles for loss, seven sacks against the Tigers. Uh, and, and, you know, it's because Clemson, honestly, they, the, Georgia was getting the better, better of the battle up front, but Clemson wouldn't run the ball. Uh, you know, 121 to two, the Tigers got outrushed. So UAB had a little more success. And, and so that's, in my opinion, what, um, in my opinion, that's, uh, that's, that's what needs to happen. First and foremost, stick with the run. I mean, and you know, you may not go very far, uh, but South Carolina's backs, uh, to a certain extent, you know, they're always it's always dangerous, you know, because they they could Kevin Harris can take one to the house. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd's capable of that. Juju McDowell, even Zaquandre White, you know. So you, you keep you keep pounding it. I think now, does that mean like you did against East Carolina and line up and just run it up the middle all the time? No, <laughs> no, not unless you're getting a push. And uh, the offensive line the first two weeks has not shown the ability to do that. That said, they're capable. You know, they're capable. Um, you know, maybe they, you know, Shane Beamer mentioned on the call and show yesterday, maybe they struggle a little bit with uh, smaller guys and quicker guys. But uh, I'll say this Georgia is bigger than those two teams the game guys have placed up front, but they're also just as fast and quick and speedy. <laughs> they got some ball players now. Defensively, that, that defense is uh, up front, especially really, really good. You know, you got a guy like Nicobe Dean at linebacker. Um, a lot of times, you know, I'll look at some five-star guys and think, well, 
I may not have had them as a five star. You know, maybe maybe they're not five stars. But th- this is a kid out of Mississippi they signed that is absolutely a five star player. Uh, you know, and you got to watch him. He's scary. Uh, Marcus Satterfield said that he's a real scary player. Uh, disruptive. You don't know if he's going to come on the blitz, that kind of thing. Uh, so I think the Gamecocks, you know, to kind of keep Georgia at bay from pinning their ears back and coming after them, uh, run the ball, get in third and manageable to where they can't guess right what's coming. Uh, and that's how you stay on the field and sustain drives, uh, you know. And I, I think eventually, you know, the Gamecocks can, can bust one on them. Uh, and that's what you want. You know, you, you, you want to just sit there and stay at it. Uh, you know, number two, turnovers in this game absolutely cannot happen. Um, you know, and the Gamecocks probably need to get their share of turnovers uh, as well. You got to hope Georgia makes some mistakes. Um, but the Gamecocks can't set them up, you know, inside the 30 or on 30 and stuff like that with interceptions, turnovers, careless errors, uh, all that good stuff. So turnovers absolutely cannot happen. You know, I don't know that South Carolina to stay in it needs the the turnover margin like two years ago. Uh, but I think that uh, – and I'll, I'll get to why I'm saying that here in a second. Um, you know, it, it, you know, you, with, with the turnovers a, a few years ago, that was the difference in the game. But, you know, I do think they can't turn it up. They can't turn it over. You know what I'm saying? And, so, and to South Carolina's offense is credit in the 2017 game. Remember, they lost Helensky. Helensky was having a good half. Uh, lost Helensky. Dakari Joyner played quarterback for most of the – second half and in overtime and you know they they didn't turn it over they were safe with the ball and they ended up coming out with a win um and if we remember correctly in that game too Rico Dowdle I think think he had 79 yards on 21 carries that 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 was enough you know and then Tavian Feaster I remember had a big run on third and long on a draw play you almost wish that hadn't happened because they went to that a bunch uh, later in the year, and it didn't work, but uh, the draw on third and whatever. But uh, I think, uh, you know, that type of effort from the run game uh, is very important. But they absolutely cannot turn the ball over. Um, third key of the game, defensive line needs to eat. You know, you hear that term a lot. It's kind of a modern football term. Uh, let's go eat. You know, they, they need to eat, especially if there's a uh, different quarterback out there. Or, or, you know, if the quarterback's not feeling 100%. Uh, you know, Georgia has the playmakers and the, the, the scheme design to go vertical against Carolina. Um, and this is, is going to be a bigger test for the Carolina secondary than I think people would imagine. Uh, and, and look, quite frankly, they, they put a, probably put that all that on film against UAB to, to kind of show, hey, we can pass it. Um, and they can for big yards. Uh, you know, you've got some very explosive players uh, at the, the play offense for them. Bennett threw five touchdowns and a half. You know, Arian Smith, uh, McIntyre, Jermaine Burton, a 73-yarder, Brock Bowers, 89-yarder, Arian Smith, 61-yarder. You know, and, and, and look, South Carolina secondary has not been tested. You know, it's not a – not a situation where they've been tested a whole lot. Now, quite frankly, you know, I'm sitting here watching some clips from the Georgia UAB game. The UAB wasn't as capable of getting a pass rush off as the Gamecocks are. Uh, and so that that's the thing, you know. And the, the problem is, though, you look at some of the play designs and stuff, and it's, you know, Todd Monka does a good job of kind of disguising it. So if you're worried about the run and then they pass, you know, that that could be something that, uh, is is a little bit concerning, but you know the Gamecocks defensive line needs to eat. They need to take the fight to them. Um, if Georgia's going to drop back and throw it, you know South Carolina has to pressure the passer. Also, South Carolina needs to to you know play well against the run. That this is not a Georgia team that has piled up a bunch of rushing yards this year. I mean, you look at it. You know, Zamir White, 4.9 yards per carry. Uh, they got 163 yards on 38 carries the other day. Uh, 4.3 yards per attempt, um, you know, and it just hasn't been, you know, a situation where they've piled it up just yet. Uh, but they are, you know, they're Georgia, so they're going to run the football. Um, so the Gamecocks have to play, continue to play really good run defense. And that the, these backs they have, White, Cook, Milton, uh, you know, McIntosh, they're really good backs. I mean, they're, they're very, very good backs. 
and they've got a good offensive line. And so if you're South Carolina's defensive line, you got to eat and not get uh, pushed around and, you know, sort of take the fight to them. Uh, and I think, you know, that that's, that's a big key, you know, that that's the defensive line so far this year, uh, is the, uh, you know, the, probably the, the strength of the team. If you kind of look at both games, uh, against Eastern Illinois and East Carolina. So, you know, South Carolina has got to pressure the passer and, you know, good news is they're not really playing, you know, no matter who plays quarterback for them, it's, it's not like playing a Justin Fields, or somebody like that, where they're going to be able to get yards with their feet. This is a uh, a pro style quarterback system, and um, so you got to get after them, and you can't let what happened to UAB happen, where they're just going up over the top. And you know, Brock Bowers, a freshman tight end, had 107 yards receiving on three catches, including an 89 yarder, two touchdowns. I mean, you just can't let that happen. Um, South Carolina. The fourth key is secondary must hold and play like they've been playing. Uh, there's going to be some times where they're going to try to attack the Gamecocks on the perimeter. Gamecocks need to tackle well. There's going to be some times they test them deep. The Gamecocks are going to have to cover. Um, makes it easier when the D-line gets a pass rush. But, you know, we haven't seen the type of athletes in the first two weeks that South Carolina is going to see Saturday night. So, when you look at it, you know, that that's a big key because, you you know, hey, the secondary has played really well. It's kind of been a surprise. Uh, but they're going to have to continue to play well when the competition goes up. Uh, and that's worrisome because you, you kind of think about it. You know, people talk about Muschamp's on the staff. He's familiar with the players and the personnel. He's not familiar with a lot of the deep, defensive backs, but you have to think in their meetings and, and things like that that they're talking about you know, hey, how you know this defense, what's good about it, what's not. Let's try to attack the, the question mark positions that have not been as big of a question mark as maybe they were, you know, in the preseason. But still, you know, you look at it and go, well, it's East Carolina, Eastern Illinois. Let's see how they do against our guys. Uh, because they haven't been in an environment like this, situation like this, that kind of thing. So you know, I that that's a key there. The secondary has to hold uh, big time with that. Uh, I'll also say that you know that uh, I have I have some faith in the secondary. I, I really do. I, I think that you know this group is well coached. They're playing fast uh, and they're playing well. So you know, I, I like their chances uh, of maybe uh, you know maybe getting it done. Uh, against uh, against a, a receiving core that is missing guys that you know George Pickens uh, those guys out getting getting closer to getting back per Kirby Smart but they're still out so they still got some injuries there uh, and so we'll see you know I, I, I kind of like some of these guys they have playing for them um, they're fast you know uh, and like against UAB that they broke some big plays so the Gamecocks can't have that happen. You know, they're not UAB. You know, you've got theoretically better athletes. Uh, and I said, like I said before, the pass rush is going to help that. Um, but the secondary has to absolutely hold because, you know, you're sitting there in a situation, for example, uh, all right, Georgia rushes for a yard, first play, you know, they, maybe they go run again. You, you got them, you got them in third and seven. Okay. They drop back, they throw a 50 yard bomb. You know, and you, you complete that's demoralizing for the entire team. Uh, so you got to do that. Um, you know, I, I think play calling, getting on the same page, simplifying. Uh, and this is back to the offense. And, and I'm just going to go ahead and say, you know, special teams play is going to be key in this game. I didn't list it because I think that's a given. Uh, but, you know, Carolina's got to make kicks, they got to punt well um, for field position purposes. Uh, return game needs to come out, block team, feel, you know, whatever. Be aware of trick plays. Uh, you know, Will Muschamp's the special teams coordinator. You, you never know if they get a certain look. Muschamp may dial something up. Same with Pete Limbo on this side. Um, so special teams could be interesting Saturday night. That's a key, but that's not part of my five keys. Uh, another key is play calling. You know, I, I think that you can't wait around – you know, until 17 minutes are left in the football game to figure out what your best plays are. 
you know, it's, you got to figure that out pretty quick uh, in this one. And so a lot's going to be on Mark Satterfield, Zeb Nolan, uh, whoever, uh, to get things right. And it's both both of those guys. I mean, you know, and Luke Doty, if he plays, plays you know, in the game, um, whoever's a quarterback, you know, it's on Satterfield to make sure that operationally they're able to check. It's up to Zeb to make the right checks. Um, that didn't always happen against ECU. So, you know, that, that absolutely you cannot have a situation where the – Offensive line doesn't know where to block. You're better off with that bunch, you know, just lining up and going at them. You know, if the offensive line mentally can't get it done, they're a bunch of big guys. So you're 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 better off just simplifying and just going at them. Now you can't do that with every play. Every play has a different scheme and stuff like that. But uh, that kind of mental breakdown absolutely cannot happen. Uh, it can't be until 17 minutes uh, is left in the game when you figure it out. Uh, if that's the case, uh, if that's the case, I think it's going to be a long night for Carolina. But if that's the case and they're still in the game, that means South Carolina's defense is just playing a heck of a ball game. Uh, and and at that point, you're probably like, well, they're, they're a lot better than anticipated, even though I know everybody's high on the defense through two games. Uh, this game is, you know, athletically – uh, physically, everything about it is is a step up. You know, just like last week was a step up from Eastern Illinois. But, you know, you absolutely can't have confusion and, you know, 17 minutes to go in the game, you're finally figuring out what works on offense. I, you know, I, I just don't see it. Now, I'll say this. Mark Satterfield said it in his press conference. I've confirmed it through some people that, look, that you, you haven't seen – everything that this offense can do. In fact, it's, it's been a little limited. So we'll see what happens, you know, Saturday. I'm looking forward to seeing it because, you know, sometimes you're told things about things like that and it doesn't, you know, you, if it's a disastrous game, you're like, where are all these plays? Um, and, you know, and then maybe they're even calling them and it's just not, uh, it's not showing up because you're getting beat. But, um, you know, that that's kind of some hope, I guess, that, hey, look, you know, you got uh, – they hadn't really showed everything, shown everything in the first two ball games. Uh, curious to see what they do show, if that's the case. You know, I you look at it. Have the tight ends been involved as much as we thought? No. Uh, run game, like I said, very vanilla. Do they have other ways to run it? Um, that kind of thing. If Luke Doty plays, what about the quarterback run game? You know, th- there's all kinds of things that you can look at that say, well, we hadn't seen this, this, and this, and this is kind of what we expected. Um, and so that's good. And look, you're playing probably the best defense in the country. You may as well just give it your best shot. Now, that doesn't mean, in my opinion, dropping back and throwing it every down or going out and running it. And I look, I, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day um, about why don't they just spread it out. I think it was on JB and Goldwater. Just spread it out and run. Uh, give those guys room to run. You know that could be that could be an idea. You know you got a bunch of guys in there close like that. Um, which those form there's nothing wrong with those formations, folks. Steve Spurrier ran a bunch of bunch formations and, and things like that when he was at Carolina. A lot of it really uh, during his later years during successful runs, he ran a lot of two tight end stuff and uh, you know motion and, and things of that nature. <clears throat> we all remember the thirty five to seven win in 2012, which we're coming up on a decade since that one happened. Uh, you know, the, 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 I guess the, it's not called a throwback. I guess it is a throwback across the field to Busta Anderson for the touchdown. That was kind of out of one of those bunches uh, that he would run. So there's nothing wrong with that. I, you know, I think though you spread them out and run it, you know, that, that may give the backs and South Carolina's got some good backs, better holes to run through and all that, but who knows what'll happen. Um, you know, with that, with as far as play calling and formations and stuff like that go, I, I do think that knowing that, hey, there's, you know, more to come, uh, I, I think that's a positive thing. All right. So, so bringing down this game, uh, you know, it, it's one of those, I kind of feel like 07 
but not the Georgia game, <laughs> if that makes sense. I, I feel like that game in Baton Rouge where LSU – LSU won the national championship that year. Uh, LSU played Carolina. It was a 3.30 kickoff. Chris Smelly was a quarterback. Um, LSU ended up winning 28-16. They ran some trickeration. And uh, clearly the better team. I was in Baton Rouge that day. Clearly the better team. But, you know, Carolina fought and had their plays and, and all that good stuff. Uh, and LSU ended up winning 28-16 uh, in that one. I feel a similar game coming on. Uh, I think, you know, South Carolina will have their moments. Uh, I think Georgia's strong, though. I mean, they're, they're a strong team. Uh, I, you know, I can't sit here and say this offense is going to put up 35 points in this ballgame. Uh, that would be unrealistic. Now, look, anything can happen. You get the run game going. Carolina's got the backs uh, to really make some things happen on the ground. Uh, I think, you know, you, you play turnover free. Uh, you wear them down. You can run the ball. Um, you know, could be a different different story. But, you know, you, you got to go with what you've seen when you're predicting games. That's why I don't really like predicting games. But I give a score prediction because people like it. Because um, really, when you think about football, it's it, when you predict it or whatever, it's based on scenarios. So, so there's a scenario here where this could happen, but scenario here where that will happen. If, 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 um, and unfortunately in college football, uh, and if I could, if I could do this accurately, I would be, I'd live in Las Vegas, and, you know, I'd be sitting out in a cabana on Saturday <laughs> chilling, but um, unfortunately in college football, it's impossible sometimes to predict. Uh, and that's what, that's what makes it fun. And that's why we all love the game. Uh, that and the pageantry and everything else. So, uh, you know, looking at it, I, I think Georgia's the stronger team. I think 33, uh, whatever the line is, is a bit over the top. I would probably go with the Gamecocks. If you do that and they lose by 35, don't be mad at me. Do not listen to me about spreads. Uh, but, uh, you know, that to me, that's a little big. Uh, I think People are going to come away from this game talking about Carolina's defense and, and high on that side of the ball um, and and probably impressed with the way this team fights. Uh, but it's in Athens. It's a night game. Uh, if you look at it, you, you know, this series historically has been close. But if you look at it since 2015, which was the, the Grayson-Lambert game Spurrier's last year, uh, Georgia's really run up some pretty big – Numbers, uh, 52 to 20, 28, 14, 24, 10, 41, 17. You had the loss in 2019, 20 to 17. And then last year down the stretch, Thanksgiving weekend, 45, 16 in Columbia uh, against a team that really, you know, South Carolina had no shot to stop them last year on defense. And, you know, the offense had its moments, uh, Luke Doty especially, but uh, it was a, it was a game where South there's just no way South Carolina could line up and compete with Georgia's offense. And, you know, last year it was a big high scoring type of situation in most games anyway. So, you know, I, you know, the 45, 16, probably, you know, you throw it out the window, um, but you could also throw 20 to 17 out the window too, because this Georgia team is much better uh, at this point uh, than that group. So we'll see sort of what happens. And, you know, Carolina played down there. Kirby Smart even mentioned it with the noon kickoff. It was a little bit of a subdued environment. There, you know, seven o'clock kickoff for the Gamecocks and Dogs between the hedges. That place is going to be uh, bananas. You know, like it normally is. You know, South Carolina's gone in there before with an early evening, late afternoon kickoff and won. You guys remember the two thousand and one game? Uh, Derek Watson, big kickoff return. Big defensive game, fourteen to nine. Carolina won. That's what. That's what. That's what type of game. Uh, ideally, and I know everybody wants to score points, but a defensive struggle that favors the Gamecocks because if you play defense and it's close late, uh, and and you're you're sticking with the run and and all that, you never know what could happen. You know, the other defense is tired. Uh, you know, South Carolina's defensive line allegedly at that point will be playing very well along with the linebackers and secondary. So, so you, you never know what can happen if it gets late in the ball game. And, and that, that's kind of the, the idea. Get, get, get it into a fourth quarter game. That's how upsets happen. Get it into a fourth quarter game and take your shot. 
And so that's uh, that's what I expect the Gamecocks to to be able to 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 or sorry, that's what I expect the Gamecocks to try to do on Saturday night. You know, will they be able to? I don't know. That that's the question. Um, so all adding everything up, adding up the talent advantage Georgia has, the issues South Carolina's had, um, which should be, you know, they could, they're correctable, right? Um, but you don't always see that. Uh, if you go correct things and then you get into a game against a team like this, uh, I think the momentum of the crowd, the uh, the confidence Georgia's playing with, uh, the athletes they have, you know, it just all adds up to a Bulldog win. Uh, so I'm picking the Bulldogs to win 28-10 to 10, uh, on Saturday night. Uh, as always, it'd be a great thing if I were wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. <laughs> but uh, – just looking at the matchups, that that that's that that to me is realistic, and uh, you know one of those things. Like South Carolina probably plays a little better than people think they will. Uh, I think Georgia plays probably pretty good, um, and it ends up being you know oh well that was a hard fault win, but it's going to be a win nonetheless. And you know I just think Georgia's got too much uh, for the Gamecocks this weekend. So again. Uh, that that uh, segment's brought brought to you by Cindy Searfoss with Coldwell Banker Kane Real Estate, upstate based, hometown Spartanburg. Uh, she's been there over thirty five years. Contact her eight six four four one four five two seven one eight six four four two four four one four five two seven one for all your real estate needs. And we thank her so much for that and for sponsoring the segment. So we've got uh, a lot of inbox questions, and so we're going um, going to the uh, the iHelp Consulting inbox right now for uh, something cool. Um, I've told you how Daniel Owens with iHelp Consulting can save your business money on credit card processing, insurance, telecom without sacrificing quality. You may be wondering how it works. Well, it's very simple. You call or text Daniel 843-372-5713, set up a quick phone call or a meeting. Daniel will then examine where there may be savings and let you know if you're paying junk fees or if your rates are too high. Now, you may be wondering, well, how is it that uh, – I help gets paid or, or maybe a consultant will charge you more than they're worth. I get it. Uh, but you may be thinking that I help may save 3000, but charge you 4000 a month. Well, that's not how they do business. You only pay a percentage of your first year savings. Not only that, if Daniel can't help you save money, you don't owe them a dime. So there's no risk and you're saving money. And also, this is another really cool thing. Told you I was going to say something cool. Right now, iHelp is running a half-off promotion because they're in such a good mood. The Gamecock football is back and 2-0. and So tell Daniel you heard about it right here on the podcast to receive the promotion. So call or text Daniel Owens from iHelp, 843-372-5713, or give him a shot. So the iHelp Consulting inbox. There's two ways to get in the inbox. First of all, Tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Please follow that um, Twitter account, and then you can tweet at me, and I'll get it. Uh, not going to read some of the some of the stuff here on the masks. I've mentioned that and addressed that. Tim Frisbee chimes in, says wear a mask. That wasn't meant for the podcast, though, and to me personally, but that's fine. Um, you know, so anyway, the university will require a mask, crowded outdoor spaces, blah, blah, blah. Oh, that sucks. All right. Phil says, hearing you and JB Goldwater talk about the draw, I remember how effective Feaster was with it, the first half versus Florida in 19 after Georgia. Lots of those were third and 10. Yeah, and that's the time where the draw worked. Uh, worked against Georgia, worked a little bit against Florida. Florida adjusted, shut it down, never worked again. Uh, but, yeah, you know, look, that's a good play. I mean, that's a, that's a play where – and against Eastern Illinois, they did that sometimes. They'd run a little bit uh, on third and more than seven. So, uh, yeah, that's a good idea. You know, and uh, Steve Spurrier made a living on that 
too, in his early days at South Carolina, the base draw, <clears throat> that was kind of the extent of his running game until uh, Elliot got there and they ran the inside zone zone read stuff. Hefty Lefty says, hey, JC, I'm enjoying the aggressive play of our D-line. However, I'm concerned over aggr- the aggressive play may lead to poor gap integrity in the run game. You know, UGA has backs that can take advantage. Can we stay disciplined and aggressive? That's a big key. Uh, for the football game is staying, you know, aggressive, but also staying, you know, sound fundamentally. Uh, and I'll say this, you know, the defense so far this year, and this is, this is just so far, you know, you're right that Georgia has the backs that can take advantage. Um, so far this year, they, they've done a good job of, of what I call controlled chaos looks uh, to where you know, you're looking at it and you're like, man, they're really just aggressive and getting after it. But it's really, you know, you, you'll see the other team fire off a pass and you're like, oh, here we go. I hope some people are over there. And then they close, keep things in front of them. So, you know, there's a way you could do it uh, with also re- remaining fundamentally sound. That's how it's kind of designed. Uh, and I know Clayton White really, really emphasizes stopping the run. Uh, they're going to have to do that. Uh, Rajai Harris is a good back for East Carolina, 14 carries, 70 yards, but he got a lot of it on one drive uh, in the second half. And then they did a good job of bottling up everybody else um, in that football game. You know, they're East Carolina's best players. Georgia has plenty of great players, though. <laughs> so, so there's a lot to worry about. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's a valid concern with any aggressive defensive line. You, you want to use that against them. Um, and same can be said for Georgia. The problem with Georgia is, you know, they can get pressure with three. They're just going to rush three. And then you've got eight other guys to deal with. So, you know, we'll see sort of how that works. So, you know, we'll see kind of what uh, what the deal is there. All right. So thanks uh, to you two uh, on the iHelp Consulting inbox. Now, we've got more. So if uh, if you are – not getting your mailbag question read, I hope consulting mailbag, not inbox, goodness gracious, uh, then um, don't worry because we'll have a weekly wrap coming up. Um, what I'm going to talk about in the weekly wrap, uh, you know, I got some notes from the coordinator press conferences. Uh, I'm going to kind of break down also heavy on the mailbag. So I'm going to get two of these out of the way and then read the rest uh, for this afternoon, this evening, Saturday, you know, you can listen to it Saturday uh, press conference. Okay, this comes in from an 803 number. <laughs> uh, great talk with you on JB and Goldwater. Uh, part of the culture change I'm so impressed with is the tackling and physical play. So done with hugging passive play. No wonder we got run over on most everybody. Uh, huge improvement. And I agree about Will Muschamp. It just didn't work out. Wish him well. Um, yeah, and, and what we were talking about on JV Goldwater with Will Muschamp is just the personal aspect of it. Like, there are people worried that he's going to be like Brad Scott and they're going to carry him off the field at the end. And, and look, you never know what's going to happen, but I would be, I'd be very surprised if, if that happened with Will Muschamp, just knowing who he is, kind of an old school guy, you know. Uh, so I don't, I, I, I'd be surprised if that happened. Uh, plus, he's not the head coach. Uh, but, you know, we were just kind of talking about how how Will, like his persona to the media and fans was a lot different than who he really is. Uh, and that's something I think, uh, you know, if he's ever going to be a head coach again, they're, they're, you know, you have to work, you have to tweak that a little bit. Um, especially when you're losing. If he was winning, nobody would care. <laughs> but when you're losing, you know, or when you're building, you know, that, that's a different story. Uh, but but he, he's not a bad person. And, you know, he's not a guy that, uh, you know, I think deserves some of the personal attacks on him. But, you know, obviously his tenure at South Carolina, uh, there's no better way to say it. The bottom fell out. The bottom fell out. It wasn't, uh, you know, and the bottom fell out on Brad Scott, too, which was the last coach they fired before Muschamp. But, you know, with 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 Brad, it, it kind of was like you know you peaked at the Carquest Bowl losing season, 
barely a 500 season where you lost to East Carolina that kept you out of a bowl. Uh, four, six, and one the next year. Great offense, bad defense. Five and six. You know, there are three losing seasons out of four, or, or two losing seasons out of four, one bowl trip out of four. Muschamp, he won six, nine, seven. You know, it, things were cruising right along and, and as far as a build goes. And uh, that loss at Florida, I think, started everything. And then all of a sudden the losses just pile up and you have to make a change. That's, that's life in the SEC. Uh, and so the bottom fell out and, and that's something that, you know, coaches have to avoid, uh, in my opinion is when you get in year four and five, year four and five is difficult when you, when you, when you inherit a rebuild because, or, or any job really, because your first year, you know, first couple of years, you know, you're getting established the, the recruiting classes now, now Muschamp's first recruiting class was actually really good. Um, but in typical situations, the classes aren't, you know, the last guy's class isn't all that good. The near class, you don't have time to put it together, whatever. Um, and then, you know, that second, third class, you're kind of hanging your head on what they're all, they're all young. And so then you get a year four and all the, all the other guys' players are gone. So it's really your team. Uh, and you got holes. And, and, and with Muschamp specifically, the injuries were just awful. Uh, knock on wood, that hasn't happened this year. So, you know, th- th- that's kind of how it goes. I mean, you know, with Shane Beamer, you're going to be looking looking at his year four and five and just to kind of see where they're at, I I would think that would be, you know, those would be seasons that there could be some holes in the roster. Now, can he go four and eight and two and eight? No, no, not at all. Um, but, you know, that happens. Steve Spurrier, too. I mean, you look at his, his tenure, I thought – his worst team was probably, even though the 07 team didn't go to a bowl, uh, I thought I thought Spurs' worst team was that 08, 08 team. Lost to Vanderbilt, um, you know, ended up getting blown out by Florida, Clemson, and Iowa to end the season. Uh, at the end of the day, that team was not very good. But, you know, uh, they got it back together. 09 was better even though the same record. Uh, and then Marcus Lattimore comes and they went East. So that's, uh, that's kind of how that went, but yeah, four and five sometimes gets away from you. Not saying they should have stuck with Muschamp. Obviously when you lose that much, you cannot keep a job in the Southeastern conference. Uh, it's highly competitive, uh, you know, and away you go, but, uh, that's kind of the deal there. All right. One more. I appreciate that. Uh, Sean, Hey, JC, wanted to get your thoughts about the perception of the program. Excited about the 2-0 start, but certain media types are hell-bent on this South Carolina narrative and won't budge, especially at other 24-7 sites and podcasts. They talk like Tennessee and Cut to Kentucky are, are worlds better in football, facilities, et cetera, et cetera, and that expectations should be low at this university and never be raised. I don't know. You tell me since 2010. What has changed? Um, or what? I'm sorry. What has Kentucky and South Carolina exactly done? Or sorry, I totally misread that, guys. It's like somebody said one day this when I request this is like anchor man. <laughs> and good night, San Diego. Um, I don't know. You tell me. Since 2010, what has Kentucky and Tennessee exactly done to warrant that respect? And even if South Carolina wins. With Beamer, can they shift the narratives? It's kind of sort of like UNC, but better things. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, number one, you know, all respect to Mark Stoops and what he's done at Kentucky. And they've got a good team this year. And so far on offense, they've looked good. Uh, no disrespect to them at all, but you know, when you just look at the jobs, South Carolina's a better job than Kentucky. There's more access to talent in the state. You're, you're closer to Georgia. You're closer to Florida. Um, you can recruit the East Coast. Now, Kentucky can recruit Ohio, and they've done that very well. Uh, as far as Tennessee goes, uh, the Vols, when they opened their new uh, ops building, did have an advantage in facilities, but that, you know, South Carolina just opened their building too, so there's no, uh, you know, th- there's no advantage Tennessee has. You know, Tennessee obviously has the tradition, um, but they've been in the abyss, you know, uh, and, and I'm gonna call it the abyss cause there, there's stages you go through as a program. 
uh, in my opinion, you know, there, there's out of the woods, <laughs> uh, which is where most programs want to be. Then there's sometimes where you go into what I call the wilderness. And the wilderness is sort of like Alabama between Gene Stallings and Nick Saban. You know, there's some good years. Mike DeBose, I think, went to the SEC championship game one year, four and seven another year. You know, Dennis Francione had some good teams and then not so good. And he leaves and then Shula comes in and had a one good team. And then it's back to struggling. Uh, you know, not it's not terrible. You know, you're not Alabama wasn't, you know, they were still winning divisions every couple of years and or a few years. And you know, they went to the Orange Bowl one year. And, you know, it, it was still Alabama football. But then there were some seasons they were just down. Uh, and that, of course, doesn't happen now. Um, so, so they were kind of in the wilderness, uh, I think. Um, I think Clemson was in the wilderness uh, from Danny Ford through Tommy Bowden until Dabo finally won the ACC in 2011. That's about 20 years, 22 years to be exact. Um, you know, again, Peach Bowl team, sometimes Gator Bowl, you know, never won the division, never did win the conference for a long time. Um, you know, then they got out. You know, the abyss – is sort of where Tennessee's at right now and Vanderbilt. Um, the abyss is, you know, you got to get back in the wilderness before you – the abyss is just like, you know, struggling to get out of the bottom of the division. If you look at Tennessee's record, you know, since 07, which was the last time they won the division, uh, they haven't been able to get it going at all. I mean, you're, you're talking, you know, eight wins max – uh, you know, as far as that goes. And now, look, South Carolina has um, not had a lot of good seasons lately. Uh, and, you know, South Carolina as a program sort of been in the wilderness. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, it, it's it's been, you know, you get, for every nine win for the Outback Bowl team in 2017, you, you get a 2019 that's a dud. You know, you didn't compete well in the All SEC season. You you know, you, you got a a three and nine in twenty fifteen, but seven and six. I mean, you know, it, 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 South Carolina has not gotten back to okay. They could legitimately be the best team in the East or second best team in the East or whatever, um, challenging Georgia. So so let's look at Tennessee. So Tennessee went ten and four in 07, won the division, finished twelfth in the country. Since that point, five and seven, seven and six, six and seven, five and seven, five and seven, seven and six, nine and four, nine and four, four and eight, five and seven, eight and five, three and seven. I guess if you look at the last five years, you know, and the scores of the game, you'd say, well, Tennessee's done a little better than Carolina. But, you know, this is like a 14-year stretch, 13-year stretch where – Tennessee has is, is not done any better than an Outback Bowl, Music City Bowl. They've only finished in the top 25 twice. Uh, and those were those two nine-win teams with Butch Jones. And we all know that the 20 – and then he got fired the next year. Um, and we know the 2016 team should have won it but lost the Gamecocks and then lost to Vanderbilt at the end of the season, uh, which has to, has to be painful. They should, should have won the SEC East is what I'm saying. That's the, the, that was the year they had the miracle win at Georgia. So, so I, I, I don't, you know, unless you're just talking about tradition, I, I don't know who's saying that, you know, about the Vols. Um, I don't see right now through two games at Tennessee that their personnel is any better than South Carolina's. I know everybody likes to, you know, except a quarterback. You know, I, I'll say that because whereas Joe Milton struggled, I've always thought Herndon Hooker was a good player. Uh, I don't know what's happened to Harrison Bailey. Uh, and we haven't seen Luke Goaty yet, you know. So, a quarterback, maybe, yeah, you got a, got a point there. But do they have better running backs? No. You know, better offensive line this year? No. You know, I, I, defensively, certainly, they leave a lot to be desired. You know, 41 points to pit. That's a, that's a big number. Uh, and, you know, so through two games, I don't know how you could say that. Uh, at Kentucky, you know, they've been building this into a solid program for years and years and years. I know everybody likes long passes, and I like that a guy's arm, Will Levis. And I like Wondell Robinson a lot. And I like Chris Rodriguez a lot. 
Um, watching that game against Missouri, like I said, it was a typical Missouri-Kentucky football game. You know, Kentucky's not an impenetrable force. Now, I'll tell you, they're going to blow Chattanooga out this weekend. By the way, uh, interesting game within the game there, Eric Wolford for Kentucky versus Whammy Ward for Chattanooga. You know, and Wolford's not calling plays or anything, but uh, you got Wolf over there. You got two former Gamecock coaches squaring off uh, towards the defensive coordinator at Chattanooga. So, um, I don't know, you know, and they're going to beat the tar out of them this weekend, and they're going to come in three and zero. But I don't, I don't, I'm not waving the white flag here for the Gamecocks. Uh, in fact, I think it sets up pretty well for South Carolina. Is you have a Kentucky team riding high, three and zero start, but has not been. To, you know, everybody talks about their offense and stuff. It's a pro style system and all that, but it's never been loud like it's going to be in Columbia for them. They haven't faced that kind of adversity yet, and so we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, I don't know who's saying that about Tennessee, Kentucky, Missouri, uh, as far as twenty four seven sports goes. Uh, I stick to my own deal, you know, here and. Uh, let everybody else talk and pontificate all they want. Uh, and, you know, some of it, some of it's like a little bit weird to me, you know, I'm like, but at the same time, uh, you know, you have to wonder how much Carolina football have they really watched, you know, uh, did they really watch the East Carolina game or just kind of flip through it and, you know, whatever uh, did they watch? I mean, I doubt anybody watched the Eastern Illinois game either because, you know, South Clemson was playing Georgia. So if you're, covering everything you know you, you definitely want to see that football game so i don't know you know the the unc but better thing you know mac brown took over a team that wasn't used to winning got them to a bowl the first year recruiting went up uh if south carolina can do stuff like that uh more power to them uh, i think the gamecocks certainly are not as far off as people thought and when mac took over at unc they said it i don't know that we believed it but they said it uh, so we'll see. But I, I just don't, uh, you know, expectations should be low at this university and never raised. Uh, I'll go through this again. You know, you're in the SEC East. You've got Georgia. you got Florida. Both those programs have good built-in advantages. The rest of that division, shake them up in a box and pull out a name. Who's going to be good this year? Who's not? You know, um, I don't see where that's some uh, – crazy hurdle for a program like South Carolina to get over considering at some point they were the best team in the East, even though they didn't win it for three years in a row. Um, and then in 2014, you just get three fourth quarters uh, stops, three fourth quarter stops uh, against different teams. And Dylan Thompson and his group go to the dome that year. They go to the SEC championship game. So, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, Beamer, can shift the narrative. You said even if South Carolina wins with Beamer, can they shift the narrative? Yes, absolutely. You, you know, you start winning, winning cures all. You know, I don't really care what some of these people say. Some of these people out there, and I'm not going to talk about anybody specifically, they focus on different things than maybe I focus on. Uh, I love recruiting rankings, for example. I don't think they're predictive of success uh, as a team. Uh, there's different things you have to look into uh, when you're talking about is, is this a good football team or not. Um, I think from what we see this year so far out of certain players who look like they couldn't play and now they can, you know, coaching goes into it. Uh, player development goes into it. Player attitude goes into it. Schemes go into it. Um, that's what drives me crazy is like people are – when they talk about outcomes of football games, they're usually like it's either coaching or talent. And, and normally it is. But there's other things that go into it too. You know, sometimes it's just the ball bouncing your way. And that's what's great about it. And, and I think in today's society, because you have a lot of analytics and social media and impatience across the board uh, with everything, you know, they want to know who's going to win. People want to know who's going to win before the game. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's taken it's take takes the fun out of it sometimes, you know. Like I said, with with the predictions and stuff, it, it's different scenarios. So, Sean, don't be a stranger, man. That's a very good question. So I got a bunch left. Um, 
here. And uh, I'll answer those on the weekly wrap show, which is coming up soon. This has been Prediction Friday. Once again, thanks to Cindy Sirfoss uh, for the uh, sponsorship of our um, our little thing here, uh, the uh, Prediction Friday. Uh, please give her a call. I uh, also want to thank iHelp Consulting and Heritage Digital uh, for their sponsorship of the podcast. And so we'll see sort of uh, – sort of what happens as we move forward. Again, weekly wrap show coming up later. Uh, so you can listen to it Saturday before the game, uh, 7 p.m. kickoff. So you got plenty of time to listen to old JC. Also, don't don't forget the big Gamecock preview show coming up. Uh, and that'll be a lot of fun uh, today at one. So thank you so much, guys, uh, for talking with us today or listening to us today or me today. <laughs> Uh, hopefully the wrap up show goes a little smoother. I've been a little off my game this morning. So anyway, but, uh, once again, uh, Gamecocks, uh, I expect to go down to Georgia 28 to 10. That's my prediction. So lock it, but you know, anything can happen, uh, on Saturdays. And, and this is why you come sign up to play ball at South Carolina and play in the SEC for moments like these. And, uh, every one of those Georgia kids on the Gamecocks roster is going to be fired up. Uh, for the game this weekend. All right, J.C. Sherbert signing off. Hope you guys enjoy this this episode, and then we'll have uh, something for you later today inside the Gamecocks podcast. Thank you.